You're listening to Fight in Progress. With your hosts and stress coaches, founder of Under the Shield, Susan Simmons, and TomTheBomb.com. Fight in Progress grapples with the internal and external struggles in the daily lives of our men and women in law enforcement, the armed forces, and first responders. Tackling the tough topics and supporting those who support us. We hear you, and we're here for you. Welcome back to Under the Shield presents Fight in Progress. See, I get it right every time, Tom. Mm -hmm. I should do this every time. You're right. Um, But (laughs) this is Susan Simmons, your host and my co-host also. Who are you this week, sir? Um, Tom the Bomb, I guess. Oh, we're back to Tom the Bomb? (laughs) Something Ah. must have happened. He needs an ego boost here, people. Something has gone on. I have to talk to his wife and find out he's gotten his little ego hurt or something. (laughs) Who hurt you? That's it. Who ignored you, Tom? Uh, Oh, who hasn't? Come on. (laughs) Well, that's true, too. That's his norm. (laughs) But uh, life has been interesting, just getting back from Alabama, getting my Baby boy married. <laughs> Hallelujah. It only took me 32 years. I told her, he's yours now. <laughs> no, I'll take him back anytime she wants to give him back. But it was a great wedding. We had a great time. But I have to tell y'all, I was ready to get back to Arizona. The weather over there, the humidity, it was 81 degrees one day in December. Man, that's crazy. Yeah, and all the California people talked about putting heaters out. I was like, y'all have lost your cotton-picking minds. Y'all put a heater out, I'm going back to Arizona. But yeah, it was kind of rainy and cloudy, but we had a good time and a great venue and a wonderful lady named Betty that ran the bed and breakfast that could cook. Like nothing you've ever seen. If she couldn't fix it, she had a guy who could. <laughs> and I was like, okay, we all need to go over there and do a little visit there at the bed and breakfast. So, so did you get your fix on grits? I did. I wasn't supposed to. So I hope my oncologist <laughs> and those aren't listening. I ate everything I wasn't supposed to have. But I didn't have alcohol. I did stay. I had one little bit of champagne at the toast. So I behaved on that part. The food was hard <laughs> There's not a lot of Southern cooking that well, fits into true. the cancer protocol, but I I tried to behave, but I did eat grits. <laughs> I had cheese grits every morning, and I had Koneka sausage, too. Uh, There's another one. <laughs> I even was given sausage. a Koneka sausage shirt. <laughs> I have a T-shirt now. <laughs> um, but we have to also start talking about our, our softball tournament coming up, January 7th here. It's right around the corner. The Chris Ferrar annual softball tournament it's our first one and we want to talk a little bit about our sponsors we have uh are very honored and proud to talk about one of our platinum uh sponsors is santan ford which is a group we are excited to partner up with some yes and uh, appreciate everything that they do for law enforcement um sadly that is where chris actually died was there at santan ford and they have really been over backwards to support law enforcement and have for years. Right. This is not something new that they did just because of that event. And Chris's family. Yes, yes. And so we're honored to have them as our as our platinum sponsor this year for the tournament and hope to have a long partnership with them. So if you're in the Arizona area, especially in the here in the valley around Phoenix, Santan Ford, please go talk to them over there, check them out because they are very pro-law enforcement first responder, and I'm sure military and family as well. So we have an interesting guest on our podcast (laughs) today. 
And let me put my apologies out now for anything he might say that's offensive. I'm the one who brought him on here. I don't know what I was thinking. I've only known this man how long, Keith? Uh, what do you say, 15 years or so? It's longer than that. I've been out here 10. Under the Shields, 30 years old. Oh, so wow. Then it's... We're close to 25 or more. Yeah, I'd say probably about 25. Yes. Yeah. But we have a retired... Can't believe you made it to retirement... Uh, and look how many people I've introduced you to. Oh, please. Like who? <laughs> like who? Somebody that makes films and movies and stuff? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Who are you talking about? The uh, oh. documentary. Oh, Patrick. Yes. Patrick. I, I forgot. He did come through you. Okay. We'll give you credit for that one. Uh, okay. But we have retired Arkansas trooper. You retired as a captain, correct? That's correct. Keith Aramia, am I saying it right? Well, it's Aramia. Aramia. Like you make an error in Mama Mia. Aramia. <laughs> and I do it every time. But it's like Grossman does it to me. He calls me Simons every time. He's only known me 30 years. And, and he can't get Simmons right. I, whatever. Whatever. <laughs> We're good. Anyway, it's it's Captain Keith. <laughs> <laughs> Retired Captain Keith. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and uh, we're just honored to have him here. I met Keith and his wife, Corey, who is an amazing woman that she has remained married to this man all this time and <laughs> and actually is is quite intelligent. I just keep going, I don't understand, but he must do something right. <laughs> um, but met them in a training. That was right. in Little Rock, wasn't it? Yeah. And uh, uh the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office had it on. The LECC coordinators, yes. Yeah, uh, Mandy yeah, Wolford. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, had a great group in that training. I knew I was in trouble the minute Keith would open his mouth. And he had some comments to make on the breaks and stuff. And uh, <laughs> I knew we were going to be good friends because we right. enjoy giving each other a lot of hell. <laughs> <laughs> So, Keith, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We appreciate you doing this. Now, you're in the lovely state of Arkansas. Are you in Little Rock or where do you? I don't even know where y'all live. No, we live uh, north of Little Rock by Conway, Arkansas. That's so we're right. about 35 miles north. Okay. But he has a, a lake house. He keeps telling me I'm invited to, <laughs> but I have, I wouldn't know where to go. Always. <laughs> he never gives the address. Or the key, right? <laughs> That's it. He just says, you're always invited, Susan. Well, the key is there in a the combination box, and I've told Susan all she has to do is show up. I give her the combination. She walks in the house. Somewhere in Arkansas is all well, I know. <laughs> yeah, we'll get that address off air. Yeah. So, Keith, tell us a little bit about you and how you got into this crazy industry of law enforcement and survived it. Um, I guess when I was real young, I was born and raised in California at Edwards Air Force Base. That explains a lot. That explains <laughs> a lot right there. Um, my dad was a test pilot at Edwards Air Force Base. He went to work for Governor Rockefeller. He sold a jet to the Rockefellers. He became his chief pilot in the 60s. So we moved to Petty Jean Mountain um, while Mr. Rockefeller was governor and while he was uh politicking or running for election. Wait a minute, did you say all Petty, Petty what? Petty Jean Mountain. Where the heck is that? It's about 40 miles from here. It's really pronounced Petit Jean. It's French. And it's for a guy that 
died on the mountain. But when you're Southern, you don't do the French stuff. No, you don't. <laughs> you got to remember, my mom is from France, and I've been to France about five or six times. See, I'm so, learning all kind of things about you I didn't that's know. That's right. So my dad, um, whenever I'd fly with my dad to other states when Mr. Rockefeller was governor, I would always ride with the trooper in the car instead of riding in the limousine. We went to Virginia or whatever. And I met the troopers in different states, and there was something about them. And just the fact that, number one, they, they were impeccable. They looked perfect. They acted perfect. And... I mean, I was just, I was sold. And of course, we know dad, what it was. It was the hat. <laughs> That's right. Because <laughs> <laughs> I got in trouble. I've got a couple memos that I had to write about not wearing the hat because back then it was a big, big deal in the early or late 70s, early 80s. Um, but I, I really admired them. And Mr. Rockefeller's son, uh, Wynn Rockefeller Jr., would ride with troopers in Arkansas. He'd, be, he'd leave the governor's mansion, go ride with troopers and stuff. And he wanted to be a state trooper. And in fact, when they did a story about Wynn Rockefeller before he died of leukemia about 17, 18 years ago, uh, he said if he had ever had his wish come true, he would have loved to have been a captain with the state police. But with his last name, what it was, that hurdle was pretty hard to, to overcome. Sure. I mean, because of lawsuits, et cetera. Sure. And, uh, my dad continued to fly for Mr. Rockefeller until Mr. Rockefeller passed away. And then when he passed away, my dad and a guy named Fred Smith uh, decided that they were going to start a company in Little Rock, Arkansas. You probably never heard of it. It's called FedEx. And they uh, tried getting a tax break from the city fathers back in 70, 71. And the city said, no one will ever want a package overnight. So they denied the uh, tax credit. My dad moved to Memphis. My mom and dad got divorced. My dad moved to Memphis and became the chief of operations for Federal, Federal Express. And uh, I didn't want to go to college, which my dad wanted me to do. And I joined the army and became a military police officer. I was there about 17 months, I guess. And my dad was killed in a plane crash and I had to come back and take care of my mom and sister. And so when I did, I decided to try and get my foot in the door and became a dispatcher with the state police in Arkansas. And that was in 76. And in 79, I got commissioned as a trooper and I worked as a state trooper from 79 to 2020. <laughs> and I say a state trooper because I've got a poster somewhere in my house that says, no matter what your assignment or what rank you are, you're always a trooper. Sure. And people need to remember that. That that's the most important thing. Yes. From seventy-nine uh -huh. to twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah, do the math on that one. Again, the so, man ain't right. I told y'all that. So for the first fifteen years, we didn't even have walkie-talkie radios. So if you got in a fight or whatever, you were on your you own. They're all by yourself. <laughs> the good old days, right, yeah. Keith? The good old days. Yep. No, nobody knew anything other than what you told exactly. them. Exactly. Here's what happened. <laughs> That's right. And That's if, true. And if the guy in the back seat said different, He's guess lying. what? <laughs> no, we got He'd another butt whooping. He'd been drinking. <laughs> he fell and hit his head three or four times. Going upstairs. <laughs> it, but it's amazing how that kind of stuff worked. Uh, you right. know, it, it was it was definitely a deterrent. 
And uh, when we were laughing about the trooper hats, did they change over the years? No, always wore the same hat. Because Keith, uh, I mean, um, uh, Mike Neal loves to tell the story about the big trooper there in Arkansas, Mickey, somebody. Uh, was it, it Mickey Strayhorn? Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> and how Mickey came in the hospital to see Mike, and Mike didn't know him, and yeah. was joking with him, and Mike didn't know it, and he said, yeah, I'm a trooper, and he stuck his brim of his hat right to his forehead, uh -huh. and he goes, see my hat? <laughs> 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 and that's how Mike was supposed to identify him. <laughs> Gotcha. <laughs> so, yeah, so we've uh, we've laughed about it. And we think he may have stopped uh, one of our stress coaches blowing through Arkansas right. not too long ago. Because okay. <laughs> he described okay. him as a really big, big trooper. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think he uh, lectured him and didn't write him yeah, a ticket, though. Him a break. Yeah, he did cut him a break. Yeah, he did get a lecture. Yeah. And, cool. uh, <laughs> well, you know, law enforcement needs to <laughs> Y'all still yell and scream at each other. Well, but. you know, used to be law enforcement had professional courtesy. Yes. I'm going to say after the incident last week where the Tampa police chief, oh, you know, they <laughs> let her go because she showed her ID on a golf cart right. while her husband was driving. Right. I, I don't get it. I uh, mean, yeah. people are acting like the, the world's on fire. They let them. Uh, they let a mass murderer off. Oh, it, it's unbelievable. That's it. Oh yeah, I just thought she, she she told him she was the chief and expected something. Oh my gosh! Uh, how, and again, we're talking. How fast does a golf cart go? And all it was was that it wasn't licensed or it something. Wasn't licensed. Yeah. Okay. Ooh, sin of sins. <laughs> but then you got these district attorneys letting serial killers, rapists, exactly. people out, and <clears throat> nobody saying anything about that. But heaven forbid. Yeah, the world has gone completely mad. What's wrong is right and right is wrong. That's right. And you have to be a little bit happy to be out of law enforcement right now, I would think. You know, I, I like I said, I've got a business where I still see my guys and do things with them and stuff. Mm -hmm. I miss the people. I will say that I don't miss any of the Nonsense. BS. <laughs> and... I just can't believe when I talk to some of the younger guys that work for me off duty, I can't believe how not fulfilling or how not happy they are with the job. Sure. That that's really the biggest thing I've seen in the last 10 years. And it, it hurts my heart because used to be, if you got two or three policemen or two or three troopers together, they're going to talk your head off about <laughs> what they did. Yes. That's right. And you just don't, you don't have that anymore. And, you know, it's funny, uh, one of the old, old timers uh, actually came by the bed and breakfast to see me. He's the, he's the mayor pro tem now of the oh. small town where we were. And we were laughing about pro tem means pretend. <laughs> so he's the mayor pretend. <laughs> but he had, he had been the police chief there for a million years. And he wow. was head of the chief's association and comes in in his overalls, you know, and and we laughed because he didn't really care for me and the concept of Under the Shield when I started it. Because the first thing he said to me is, I remember you and your liberal ideas. And I looked at him, I said, excuse me? I said, when did Alzheimer's set in? Uh, liberal? I'm anything but liberal. And uh, he kind of laughed. And we were talking about the differences in today and back then and stuff. And I pointed out, I said, you know, one of the problems that we're seeing, because we got on the subject of divorces, an officer had been killed there in this small town, and he had been through a really bad divorce prior to death. And 
Uh, he said, yeah, and it's such a common problem in this industry. And I looked at him, I said, you want to know why? And he goes, yeah. I said, it's you old timer's fault. And he goes, what do you mean? <laughs> and I said, because y'all are the ones who set this principle in the academies of teaching that's still being taught, keep personal and professional separate. And I said, I'm mm. telling you now, this is what we're seeing. He actually agreed with me. <laughs> and then he had to come up with something he had to respectfully disagree, but we corrected him on that, and he eventually <laughs> saw the error of his ways. But I was talking to him about the body cams, and I said, I'm a huge fan of them, that they've helped officers in Ooh. tight spots. But I said, what it has done negatively, everybody has to uh, begin to identify and understand, is it's taken that ability to use sick humor away from very tragic, critical incidents because they get in trouble if they use the sick humor that you and Tom used for, mm -hmm. well, good gosh, for you for 75 years <laughs> since you were a trooper so long and body cams didn't come along till you were, could have retired three times. But, um, but the reality is, is they can't use the sick humor that y'all use for years. So their garbage cans are filling up faster. Well, and I think, Lee, or Susan, the thing that I think is a big problem is, when I was a young trooper, especially, I could talk to people and make them realize, like I was taught in the academy, for, in my academy, it was either you take a little bit of their pride or you take a little bit of their money, right. but you don't take both. Absolutely. And nowadays, troopers walk up, hi, I'm Trooper Aramia. The reason I stopped you is for ABC. Is this still your address? Needs your insurance. Okay, be right back. Go back. Here it is. Sign right here. This It's a robot. Yes. And for me, it was more of like, hey, what's going on? You know, and I've taught people for 25 years in our patrol tactics school. Look, people are creatures of habit. Mm -hmm. The first time you get them, give them a break. Yes. You're going to catch them at 805 or 813 <laughs> next week and the next week and the next week. If they're a habitual violator. Yes. Give them a break. If you catch them way bad wrong. 155 the first time, write them a ticket, break down the speed, and tell them, you know, I'd like to give you a warning if I catch you again, but I'm going to have to see some improvement, you know, so for a while, don't let me see you. You know, tell them what you're wanting. If people, policemen would look up the word enforce, it only means to <laughs> compel obedience. Yes. That's all it means. Do right. Yes. I just want you to do right. I don't care about the ticket. I don't care about you going to jail anything. I always prayed when I was a trooper, hey, God, tomorrow, the guy that needs a warning, let me feel it. Yes. The guy that needs a ticket, show it to me. And the guy that needs to go to jail or to prison, hey, put me on him. I'm all about it. Yes. You know, that's that's what you got to remember. Yes. Yeah, we have gotten away from that concept. <clears throat> that's at, for sure. In, yeah. in academies. And, it, and it's really sad. And See, I just taught all the Alabama troopers in the academy that here's what happens if you write Susan a ticket. You go back at that time to Selma to the old academy, and they'd rather do anything than spend more time down, down at the old academy. Most of my guys are retired, so now I have to obey the speed limit in Alabama when I drive because they would all tell you Susan's card knew zero and 100, and that's, that's it. True. And uh so, yeah, I have to, now I have to abide by the law in Alabama. So I don't know that I'll ever go back to Alabama again and live. <laughs> and I haven't taught enough of them out here to have that understanding. So, yeah, they've really, and the cameras here have really curbed my driving because you can't talk a camera, can't talk a camera out of a ticket. <laughs> 
Corey, Corey just oh. came to get your picture. She just got back from the vet. Yeah, we were laughing. We were laughing earlier, Corey, about uh, the Keith can he, if he needs open heart surgery, it can wait to make sure the dogs are taken care of. Oh heck yeah! Wait till he finds out how much his vet bill was. Oh, no. oh, don't tell him while he's on air. No, no he loves his girls. Hey, can I have a key to your house so I can undecorate for you? Please do, because I don't think these Phoenix people are coming back to undecorate my tree and no. take it out. I doubt it. I was cracking up at that, but that's sweet of them, though. You, you are welcome to come anytime. Okay, uh, Keith, cool. maybe. Keith, maybe. We'll see how he does on the yeah, podcast. Right. I love the West. I love Phoenix. She we'll, does. We'll come anytime. Awesome. Well, we've been praying for you. Thank you very much. It's good to see you. Good to see you. Take care. Take care. Oh, we're glad Corey could pop in. And just for the audience to understand, I came home. I left a home with only a wreath on a table with a candle. And I came home to a six or seven That's foot tree, seven Christmas tree in my fully decorated. fully decorated, all first responder things on it. Thanks to my, uh, I guess we'll call them my Phoenix PD and fire friends and family. <laughs> the best thing was, is when she walked in, there was like, Five minutes before she even realized the tree was up there. She's talking about. I was so tired and, and putting stuff down. And, and then she's like, it. she looks around. She goes, hey, it looks like everything's in place how I left it. And I'm thinking, you still haven't noticed a seven <laughs> foot tree. And then all of a sudden she's like, oh, who did that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I don't do that because I hate taking them <clears throat> down. So That's another reason why you weren't a police officer. You're not a trained observer. <laughs> not, under, not at those moments. <laughs> not detective material. That's right. <laughs> and again, I told them I was just thankful I didn't come home to naked blow-up dolls of Santa Claus doing perverted things with reindeer in the front yard. <laughs> and now they've got ideas for next year. So all keys will be confiscated to my home, including <laughs> including Tom's, because he was the culprit who let me in. Of course, my front yard I can't do much about right. other than 24-hour surveillance <clears throat> and I'm not beyond it. So just letting y'all know, I may get a new pit bull that sits in the front yard. <laughs> but anyway, back to talking about the, the changes in law enforcement. That to me is really probably one of the saddest. We've removed discretion mm -hmm. from the officer. Yeah. And, and the reality is, is everybody's circumstances can be very different. And I think sure. that's part of what the public is, their whole perception is based on that they don't understand. It isn't the individual having very many options these days right. that's, that's stopping them. There's it's, a lot of expectations that you will do this, you will do that. Absolutely. And there's discipline well, stuff that happens if you don't right. do this and that. Sure. And I think that, you know, if they do get off script, let's just call it that. If they do get off script and they do, God forbid, get a citizen complaint, because, you know, you shouldn't get any complaints. <laughs> of course not. I, when I was a troop commander, I told everybody, if you don't get four or five complaints a year, you're not doing your job. Absolutely. You know, the thing is, though, is these younger officers, I think good policemen are just like a preacher. It's a calling. Mm -hmm. And I think that a good police officer wants to make a difference. If you asked a police officer, hey, your salary is going to be 45000 a year starting, or it can be forty-three, 
but you're going to get to make a difference. We're going to let you kind of run this thing the way you think you need to. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you, you would fill the ranks with police officers and you would fill the ranks with good police officers. Yes. You're, we're getting into a cycle right now, and my agency just did it. They just got the biggest raise troopers have ever been. When I started as a state trooper, our salary was $9,000 a year in 79. <laughs> but 9, remember, 000. it was 1979, people. Yeah, we remember. We remember. You know, we had the Flintstone mobile, no cars, no engines. We had to walk, you know. Revolvers? Anyway. Were you carrying revolvers yeah. then, too? We did carry revolvers. I know. Was your first mortgage over 10000 or <laughs> under 10000 10, uh, Yeah, it was. It was. But it was, it was $9,000 a year, and I brought home one hundred and eighty. 87 every two weeks. And I'm being honest when I say this, Sir? I would have, if they would have told me six months into it, hey, Keith, we're going to do a 10% pay cut. Are you still wanting the job? Because FedEx and UPS pays all this. I'm telling you, I'd almost done the job for free. Yep. And when they had troop meetings about our retirement benefits, pay raises <laughs> and stuff, I was sitting there going, man, can't the captain talk any faster? I got bad guys out here on the streets. <laughs> I got loads of dope I want to interdict. I want and I've got up guys. I've got 75 more years. <laughs> That's it. I did not care. And most of the guys were like me. Yeah. yeah. Most most were like oh, me. Yeah. Absolutely. And I really think now we're getting in a bidding war. I just saw where one department out west is given a thirty-seven thousand dollar sign-up bonus for laterals yeah. for two years, Costa Mesa or somewhere like that. Oh, everybody out yeah. here is doing it. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah, Phoenix I mean, was given, what was it, at one time, uh, was it up to 20? I'm not sure. I don't remember. Yeah, Phoenix was, was given a yeah. big you one. you got to remember, when I joined the state police with a take-home pay of 187 every two weeks, we had to buy our own uniforms. The only thing they gave you was a gun. And that's $187, not $1,000, people, just clarification. Yeah, I was I was about $1,800 in debt with a bulletproof vest, leather gear, all that. And it took me three or four years to pay off my uniforms. Sure. Now we throw out uniforms, brand new, free, new cars, everything. Yes. But think of how proud you were at that point. Oh, there's no doubt. Everything like you said, had. Yes. I don't want to give the impression of anything different. Susan. I love where I'm at in my life. I have been blessed every year. Yes. I have buried uh, some FTOs. I've buried a roommate that was a Little Rock policeman. I've had a lot of funerals to go to and stuff. I've been in some bad, bad car wrecks and stuff. But I'll say this. I wouldn't trade my time in uniform with the kids nowadays, even if someone told me, hey, Keith, they're going to start you off at 100000 Yep. I can't do the job like they're doing it. My hat's off to them. Sure. My hat's off. They got a hard job. They have a hard job. And that stuff is building up. And it's kind of like 10 years ago when I had new troopers and I was the captain. And someone would complain because the administration might get on them and say, you drove too fast through that intersection. That chase isn't worth it or whatever. We train people to be racehorses. Our academy is training them to be good racehorses. Mm-hmm. And then unfortunately, and I'm not trying to pick my department or any other ones. I'm just saying in general, yes, we're putting these good racehorses in a pasture and we're saying, Hey, hey slow down. Don't, don't enter that race. Yep. 
<laughs> no, 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 no. Not that race. Yep. We're going to have a race for you here pretty soon. It's not going to be a fast one, but you're going to get one. And policemen want to make a difference. Yeah. And I swear to you, if you can't make a difference, I think it dies. It does. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first time down in, in Selma at the old Trooper Academy that some of this, the kinder, gentler Trooper mm -hmm. concept was coming in. And I remember telling them, y'all got a problem right off the bat. And I remember the head of the academy looking at me like, here she goes again. And I said, <laughs> the problem is you are training them paramilitaristically, but you want a kinder, gentler Trooper. And I said, that's a conflict. You yeah. you train what you want. And exactly. if you want a kinder, gentler one, you better put them in khakis and a polo. And yeah. you better get them out here kissing babies and shaking hands. But all this other stuff you're teaching them, you're setting them up for conflict and failure. Sure and you are. that and, was and, the problem. And I will say also, when I worked a fatality car wreck or whatever, Susan, I'm just being as honest as I can on your show. If I worked a bad fatality and it involved a drunk driver, let's just say, mm -hmm. and they left the scene or they stayed at the scene, I'm going to tell you, number one is I always like being very proactive. I was high energy, get them stopped the whole bit. But if I worked something about, let's just say a DWI, man, for the next six months, I was hell on wheels for drunk drivers. Yes. Mm -hmm. These new troopers can't do that. Right. They're not being allowed to do that. And I think that going to court and seeing a drunk driver spanked and a third offense DWI a drunk driver going to prison and stuff, it did my soul good. It, it made me feel I accomplished a mission. And when you're a goal-oriented person like I am, mm -hmm. and most policemen are, because there a lot of them are uh, athletes, things like that, that set up themselves for a path, a career path. Sure. Now you've got a guy that you're telling him, okay, we arrest the bad guy. The bad guy goes to jail. If he gets three of these, he goes to prison. This happens. This happens. It's a mousetrap. He steps on this. That happens there. It's not happening anymore. These guys, the system is failing them. And then they've got the other citizens that, you know, I was the grim reaper for 40 years. And on the midnight shift, I had 37 fatalities in one month Jeez. where I had to go tell the next of kin, you're your loved one didn't mm -hmm. make it. Yeah. And I knew when I was knocking on that door, I'm changing their life forever. Absolutely. I am that guy with the sickle. Yeah. And one of them was a, a, a guy and a girl who got married at the country club, made it about six miles away and went off the interstate oh, into a, a water and were killed. And when we found them. They're still wearing the wedding gown and the tux. Man. And I have to go tell the mom and I'm with another trooper. And it was me and Gene Nobles, and she starts beating on Gene Nobles' chest. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's got to get that out somewhere. Yes. Sure, talking and, and getting counsel and stuff, but also he's got to be able to go out and get some DWIs and making this. I've got to change this. We got to put a stop to this stuff because if I stop this drunk driver, yep. I may have prevented him from killing somebody. Absolutely. And, you know, we had someone else on the show recently and, uh, one of the things that we have been horrified to find recently was that Maricopa County Sheriff's Department, which everybody around the country, this was Sheriff Joe's former department, mm -hmm. yep. and uh, they are under that consent decree with the Department of Justice. Well, on the bottom of every ticket and every warning is a what's that code? QR, code. QR code that the driver can scan, pops up 
your traffic stop survey that they, this is, who gets a ticket, gets to do that and goes, oh, well, let me talk how wonderful the deputy was to me. <laughs> yeah. And every one of those opens, it, it basically cuts numbers and opens an IA. Every complaint. And you go, and then they wonder why they have so many complaints against their deputies. And it's taken them, what did the article say recently, 600 and something days yeah. to clear. I got guys retired for two years who still have open IAs. Oh, my God. But, you know, and in Arkansas, did y'all have it before you retired? Because you've been retired how long? Uh, two years. Okay. Almost three now. Did did y'all make people come in to sign complaints, or could they do it over the phone or Internet anonymously? Well, we now have the Internet where they can make a complaint stuff. But before that, and when I was captain, I would tell the people, I need you to come in and talk to me. Yes. And... I think it's good that we get to see him. And trust me, we had complaints that were justified. I got suspended one time, and it didn't come from any complaint. It came from a jailer telling me that one of my troopers had tripped somebody who's handcuffed behind their back, and their conduct was not professional. And when I heard about it, I went and got a copy of the videotape, and I did. I ran my mouth in front of other subordinates of that trooper and said, I was going to try and get him fired. Mm -hmm. And of course the Colonel state police said, you can't go start something and then put that out there. It's not professional. And he suspended me three days and he was right to do it. Sure. I shouldn't have done it. You know, you learn a lot when you get punished. Sure. Mm -hmm. I've got lots of awards, trooper of the year, 20 official commendations. I really didn't learn too much from any of those, except how to smile and shake hands with the governor, et cetera, things like that. And say thank when you very I much. My, I think I've been suspended three times in my career. Each one of those, I felt those, and I learned something from them. And it's not always a bad thing to get spanked. It's sure. not. That's right. Sure. As long as it fits it. That's right. And is not excessive, but it's like That's I was right. talking with someone because uh, while I was gone, I saw the thing about the two Phoenix officers now being charged with aggravated assault for the arrest at the uh, gas station. But what most don't know is that their response to this person was within 10 seconds of them being shot at. Yep. And what a lot don't understand is when that adrenaline, that is animalistic mode takes over logic. Sure. Somebody shoot at me. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I don't know that I, I hope I'm not going to let them live to hear the things I'm going to say and do to them. <laughs> um, but you have to take all that into con and those things are not taken into consideration. We're not talking about something an hour after being mm -hmm. shot at where you get adrenaline down and that kind of stuff. And they didn't know if he had a gun still, a knife, what he had. He, he was not being cooperative. The media has kind of portrayed it like right. he lay out flat and put his hands out. That is not the case. And I made the statement to this person that city council is the one kind of losing their minds. Well, I want city council to go through uh, the training where they're getting shot with whether it's ammunition or on a virtuous system or something. Let's see how they respond. Well, and Susan, you know, because you, you've done this long enough, but anytime I've been involved in a shooting, especially from my patrol car, mm -hmm. and I've shot numerous times while going down the interstate at a felon, a murder, whatever. Um, you don't rem you don't hear the gunshot go off. That's right. Your body, with the adrenaline pumping, it's fight or flight, mm -hmm. and your body is doing things just like you said, like an animal. You can 
realize that you're losing fine motor skills. You can't hold that gun as still as you normally do. And people who shoot great at the range don't always shoot great <laughs> during a, a stress situation. That's right. And it's because their fine motor skills are one of the first things to go. When their blood pressure goes up, the motor skills go down. Yes. They get tunnel vision. When I've shot at cars and I've got a good video where I'm trying to shoot the gas tank out of a car that's the guy's escaped from a jail. He beat up the jailer the whole bit. I put two or three rounds in the gas tank at 100 miles an hour. And I'm talking to myself, gosh, dang, look at there. I did it. You know, I'm amazed at what I've done. <laughs> Was I really aiming? No, you know, but you couldn't aim at 100 with the, with the pistol in 100 mile an hour winds and hit what I'm trying to hit. Right. It was luck. It's and today, the sadly, today you'd probably go to jail for oh, doing yeah. that kind of stuff. Exactly right. That that to me is the saddest part. And yet we don't see the correlation between the world being out of control and our controlling too much on the law enforcement side. But these two officers here, I I can't even imagine what's going to happen to them or their families. Yeah. And again, Monday morning quarterbacking from behind a table. It's so easy to do with no mm -hmm. adrenaline. People don't realize cognitive function goes when adrenaline kicks in. I will say this, Susan, and I hope my prediction is wrong. I hope everybody goes, well, Keith was way off target on that. Ten years from now, mm -hmm. uh, 2032, I'm still alive, God willing. I think what you're going to see happen, and I hate to say this, but I think what I you're going to see happen is Policemen are built different, and I mean police women too. I sure. don't mean just the men. Sure. Police women, police men, they're built different. They want to make a difference. They like the adrenaline. I'm going to tell you, when I was working interdiction stuff and getting loads of dope once a week, whatever, getting two or 3,000 pounds of marijuana, it was like I was hitting that vein. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was, it was the adrenaline junkie. That's yes, what it is. Absolutely. And I will say this, and I hope I'm wrong. I'm afraid that policemen not making a difference, having a boring job that's making good money, they're going to make that 100000 great. They're going to start venturing off in things they shouldn't do because they want that thrill. Yes. They want that adrenaline. They want that I can beat the odds. I can take risk and stuff. And I'm afraid that you'll see marriages suffer. I think you'll see illegal activity of police officers rise. Mm -hmm. And I hope I'm wrong, but I think that people will start going down a street to get the same adrenaline hit that police officers do nowadays off of high-speed chases or off of getting the bad guy or seeing the bad guy go to prison or they... They're not going to get that satisfaction anymore. They right. just aren't. Well, and I think you're going to see a, a lot more of what we're already seeing of I, I'm not doing my job uh, unless it's something really blatant and really, really bad. In front. Yep. I'm not stopping anybody because I'm going to I'm taking the chance of getting in trouble if right. I do. I agree. And that's I really agree. sad. And that means things are going to get even worse. Yeah, because like I've told everybody before, Every gram of drugs travels by car. Mm -hmm. Every stolen gun from a burglary travels by car. Mm -hmm. Every drive-by shooting travels by car. 
when the police quit making stops for taillights, brake lights, mm -hmm. 10 over the speed limit, whatever, yep. they're not catching Joe drive-by shooter. They're not catching Johnny cocaine salesman. They're not catching those. We, we're, we've lost that. Yes. We're not proactive. We're reactive. And we're not really reactive very well right now. No, it's really, and, and I don't care. And the around this country is going through the roof. <laughs> That's it. And, you know, I do want you to talk about the situation with the Washington law enforcement that were killed, because I'd never heard that story until you mentioned it, I guess, in one of our emails or something. But mm -hmm. talk about how all of that happened. OK, I was this was in the 80s. And so I was a you know relatively new five, six year trooper. And I lived at a house off of a main road and. I didn't usually like to eat at restaurants that much. So I would drive through, get my food, go home and eat, take my vest and shirt off and eat at the house, then get back dressed and go back to work. I get home one day with some to-go food and the front doors kicked in. And as I said, this was in the 80s. And you got to remember in Arkansas, um, when we when I first became a trooper, shooting at a, at a fleeing felon was still legal. Yes. They didn't have Garner. Yeah, I mean, and state police policy was we still shot at fleeing felons. So I got back in my car, grabbed my Remington 870 shotgun, and told them to send the city police that I was going to the house. And I was in uniform. And, of course, you know, I was there to take care of business. <laughs> sure. And so I go in the house, and it's in shambles. I mean, it looked terrible. And there's a lot of stuff like uh, back then we had AMFM cassette stereo systems, you know, that were all put in a rack. That rack was moved to the back door where they could come and grab it real quick. And a lot of things like some guns and stuff were stacked up by the back. And I'm sure I got home while they were still there. I just didn't know it. They'd run out the back. And uh, we canvassed the area, don't find anybody. But myself and a guy, John Morrow, who's passed away, passed away last year, I believe it was, of cancer. Um, John was a good friend of mine, and uh, we had photographs and things like that. I had photographs with Blake Wilson and some other troopers, all of them that were in those cheap steel frames you bought at Walmart. Because remember, I'm only clearing $187 every two weeks. <laughs> the bad guys had taken them and thrown them like a Frisbee and stuck them in the sheetrock. Wow. They just, I mean, there was 30 or 40 holes before they finally stuck. But that's what they did was they just threw them everywhere. Hmm. And then my uniforms, they'd taken a knife and slashed my uniform shirts all hanging downstairs where I had all my stuff. Uh, my hats, they took off the top shelf and stepped on them, you know, just all that kind of stuff. Well, um, John Morrow and I had started a business back then. Cell phones were about three or $4,000, those brick phones. Mm -hmm. We'd started a business. We bought four of them and we were loaning them or leasing them to legislatures and we we're charging them an amount per day plus a dollar a minute and it was only costing us 37 cents a minute so every minute they talked we were making 60 cents well they stole the phones and i called the provider and they said yeah we can we can leave the phones on but you're you're liable for all the the bill okay i did three days of it come back, I get a hit to an address in Washington State. I called a trooper friend of mine that I'd known through interdiction, 
he went by the house and the girl said, yeah, it was my brother, Maurice Clemens. So we look up Maurice Clemens and I can remember the address right now. And it was 40 years ago. It was 2808 Welch Street in Little Rock. We go to 2808 Welch Street, about five state police cars, all parked out front with their parking lights on and their loudspeakers announcing every radio call that came out, you know, because we didn't have walkie talkies. So it echoed throughout the neighborhood that we were there. <laughs> the man that answered the door, very nice gentleman, he says, I guess you're looking for Maurice. I said, yeah. And he said, I said, is he your son? No. He's my stepson. Okay, is he here? No. You have any problem with us searching his room? He's right back there in the corner. So he gave us permission. We search it, and we find the phone and one gun out of the 10 that he stole we didn't find a lot of other stuff, but we found enough to go ahead and charge him. And we did. He went to prison. He got 65 years because he robbed another couple and breaking into my house. They put both court dates together. A few, late, a few years later, the governor, from pressure from the community, uh, released him on parole. And I don't believe anybody in the state of Washington knew he was paroled to Washington. And I didn't know where he'd gone. I just knew he'd been released. And uh, I'd put feelers out asking if anybody'd seen him since he got out. Nobody had. And uh, then one day I get a call at headquarters to come up there, and I do. And they told me that um, he was the suspect that killed four police officers in a restaurant. He walked inside and shot all four of them in the head. Wow. And most everybody listening to this should remember that story because yeah. that was a pretty big deal. They were just sitting there doing paperwork or something, yeah. non-provoked, just walked in and ambushed, ambushed them right there. Yeah. And was he alone in the break-in to your home and the robbery of your home? He was by himself we, there? We asked him that, and he never would admit anything else. We think that he had a car. There was a street behind the back of my house. Mm -hmm. And that's what we think the car was because of the way the leaves were and stuff. And I think he just saw that police car pull up. And, you know, when you're a policeman, you've got to check out on the radio. And there may have been someone on the radio. So it may have taken me. I don't recall that. But it may have been, you know, somebody talking and I'm sitting in the driveway. They're looking and saying, crap, the cops are here. Mm -hmm. Knowing that I live there. And then they went out. And then I check out. Then I grab my food and my drink you know, and whatever, and start my way toward the house. I don't know, but we think he was there and stuff. But the amount of hatred he had for law enforcement, it was demonstrated then. And when we went to court, the judge wanted him unshackled and uncuffed and stuff so it wouldn't prejudice the jury. And he took one of the padlocks off the desk. The deputy had left it there and he threw it at some police officers he missed, but he threw the, the lock at the police officers during the trial. Wow. Jeez. Yeah, the first day. Yep. Well, all I can say is I hope whoever was behind getting the governor to release mm -hmm. him, whatever pressure that, where that came from, I hope they understand the blood of those four law enforcement officers in Washington state lies solely on them. Because yeah. he should have been I, in a lot longer. How long did he actually serve before that? About happened? seven years. So a tenth of it. Oh, in no. fact, that's unheard Not, of. Long, yes. So. Yeah, wow. Unheard of. I, did did that know, become a big story in Arkansas? It, it did, Susan. It did. And, you know, there was, uh, I was 
cautioned against saying anything by the state police, higher, you know, powers. And it, it was hard on me. And sure. KING TV in uh, Seattle, Washington, wanted to do some uh, uh, documentary and stuff on it. And of course, I couldn't do that. Um, I, I had to pray about it. And I just had to kind of, you know, let certain things go. Um, but I've read, the, uh, there's a book about it and me and stuff like that out there. And then there's a lot of stories. It was Lakewood, Washington Police Department. Mm -hmm. And every year I post something on their uh, Facebook page about, you know, that I was the trooper and that, you know, I'm still sorry about what happened. And one of my good friends who was a prisoner at state police headquarters, we had work release people. And he knew that I was kind of having a little inner battle about it uh, when it happened. And he said, Keith, I'm going to tell you something. He said, you know, I've been in prison. He went out for meth. Mm -hmm. And in Arkansas, meth, you did three quarters of your sentence mandatory. Sure. So most of the time you did a 30, 40 year sentence. And he said, Keith, I've seen so many people um, that found Jesus in prison. Mm -hmm. He said, but the strange thing is, he said, when they're packing up their bunk and all their belongings and stuff, they leave that Bible right there. Yep. They don't take Jesus with them when they go out the doors. Hmm. That's right. And, you know, that's somebody who knows. I don't. But, but he, he does. You know, none of that was on you. You did. You you right. got you him. It, the system broke, not you. It, it did. But I probably should have said something way back when, because it was a year or so after he got released. Mm -hmm. And it would have been, you know, nice to do more. But, uh, so you've always got to take part of it. I, you know, I think that we all have to take ownership to a lot of bad things that are going on around here. I've, I'm a firm believer that the good in this country is far too silent. Yes. And mm -hmm. they, they don't speak up. Absolutely. And, you know, really, why would the why would your department care if you spoke up? I, I mean, the department didn't release this guy. Was the, the right, governor still the governor? I mean, was it still the same governor? I don't I don't think he was, but there's always politics and there's the future. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of governors from Arkansas that run for president, as sure. we've seen. Sure. And they make president. Sure. And we may have the, the governor who's about to go out of office. He's thinking about running for president. Um, it, it's That's what it is. And when you're, I'm just going to say the command staff mm -hmm. of the state police, you have certain things that you try to, I guess, adhere to. And we all know that if the state police needs new cars or needs raises or whatever, they've got to go to the legislature. And the legislature is either A, Republican, or B, Democrat. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have to talk to their friends that are still in office to ask for what you need. That's the sad thing about it. It is sad that doing the right thing, saying the right thing, gets you nothing. Right. Keeping your mouth shut is what yeah, makes and, and things I, happen. I want to say this. Yeah, and I, this brings up a good point, Susan, I want to say. And I'm not pointing the finger at any department because right. I've got friends in a lot of them and I've, I've been blessed to travel the world. I've taught at six or seven state police academies. I've, I've taught everywhere, but I'm going to say this when directors and chiefs or commissioners forget that the most important thing that every single police officer will ever do ever, it's not running into a house and saving a body. It's not, catching someone raping a girl before he does it. The most important thing that every police officer will do is raising their right hand and swearing to God. Yes. 
they swear to God they will do everything in their power to make this a better place, a safer place, to be unbiased in their arrest, to not use their badge illegally or immorally. That's the most important thing that every single one of us will ever, ever do. And a lot of chiefs and majors and colonels and lieutenant colonels, they forget that they're, well, you know, Keith, let's just, you don't have to go out and get every bad guy. Right. You know, slow down your jets. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. One day you're going to see that guy mm -hmm. and you're going to sit there and go, Keith. And I remember how much I prayed to be a state trooper because like I told Tom earlier, when I wanted to be a trooper, they had 3,400 people yes. apply for 39 slots. Yes. 3,400. And I was saying, God, if you'll just make me a trooper, I promise I'll be the best trooper you've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And in some ways I lived up to it, in some ways I didn't. But I just think that nowadays people aren't taking that seriously mm -hmm. and our murder rates going through the sky. Yep. Our ag assaults, everything, everything. It is. And I, I tell you, one, I was having this conversation in Alabama. The problem is we've gone to supervision, not leadership. The Amen. word leadership has, has left the building and they identify themselves by the title in front of their name, whether yep. that's sergeant, captain, lieutenant, commander, chief, whatever. And lead, the concept of leadership, they had, think is synonymous with being a supervisor. And you I saw this, Tom. <clears throat> Tom saw this. Yeah. yeah. We've, we've all seen it. And they need to go back to that definition of what a true leader is. And Tom and I teach a class about... Uh, exactly this, and we've Haida has offered it a lot. Said it's one of their most good. Uh, desired good. classes, and it's about the title of it is why good cops make quote bad close quote decisions, mm -hmm. and it's coming from lack of leadership. Mm -hmm. Is what it's coming I, I, from. I agree, hundred percent. And we 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 get great reviews. <laughs> yeah, we're promoting people that are not leaders. No. But they are good supervisors. And if they've shown that as a sergeant, they wrote up Trooper Jones and Trooper Smith, and they're making sure that he's doing this right and that right, and his guys aren't getting complaints outside the norm, well, we need to promote him. That system's working. <laughs> yep. And that's not the truth. That's right. Give me somebody that's been a supervisor, and yeah, he stepped on his you-know-what a few times or whatever, <laughs> but he, every time you called him in, He's been honest about it. Yeah. He said, you know what, Captain, I did do that wrong, mm -hmm. or I shouldn't have done that. You know, I that's the guy I want. I'm amazed at departments. I, I'm waiting, and it's going to happen, and it is going to be so big. It will be unbelievable how they will discipline an officer for something where there's no complaint. <laughs> and you wait, because one day the person that they think is wronged they discipline an officer for it before that person realizes what's happened. The check they're going to have to write with zeros because there's no, there's not going to be a legal standing to defend the department because they've already disciplined somebody for doing something to somebody. Just get the checkbook out people because yep. it's going to happen. And then they're going to have to realize, Oh, we are kind of putting the cart before the horse here I'm not saying they should that the officer might not need to be called in sent to remedial sure. training, yeah. 
But when you're talking about disciplining people, days off, money costs, demotions, whatever, you've just added a bunch of zeros behind a number to somebody that doesn't even think anything wrong was done. <laughs> you're right. And I think, Susan, like I said before, is when, when I was a trooper, brand new, the first 10, 20 years, if I went into Denny's or went to Firestone or went to anywhere and the guy would ask me, you like being a trooper? It wasn't a yes. It was, are you kidding me? They pay me <laughs> yes, to right. do this. They pay me. My first 10 years, I didn't take a holiday or a vacation day. I didn't want them. Right. Dude, that was Disney World out there. <laughs> it was the e-ticket. And I loved it and stuff. And you don't see that anymore, Susan. And that's what, I'm not saying every department. There's right. sure, there's departments out here where they are. And I not did many. things. I had little cards made up, said junior state trooper. I had bouncy balls that said Arkansas state trooper. I paid out of my own pocket. Yeah. I gave those out. But come on, folks. Let's let's get the first, let's be crime fighters first mm -hmm. before reading books in school. Show me a chief that his crime rate is down, his drug rates down, his murder rates down. Okay, your guys can go read books in school. If you don't have burglaries, but don't show me that you've got five officers reading books in school and Johnny Jones over here is working at the steel factory, but when he comes home, his ATV stolen. And is riding lawnmowers stolen. Mm -hmm. Right. You're Are right. You policeman? Right. You know, don't be the friendly guy. Yeah. I, you know, you yeah. don't have to be that guy. Many people that I stopped and arrested, Mark Johnson, who became a North Rock officer, a homicide detective, a trooper, and then a sergeant with the state police worked for me. The way I met Mark Johnson was him and another guy in a 69 Camaro were on <laughs> University Avenue getting ready to drag race, <laughs> they take off when the light turns green. I fly both by both of them, put my state police car across the road and pull my gun on them and flag them <laughs> over to the parking lot. Mark Johnson's one of my best friends to this day. <laughs> I can't tell you how many people I stopped and arrested or stopped and wrote tickets to and stuff that are great friends, sure. business owners, etc. Sure. You can be professional and friendly or even professional and firm and make big impacts and change lives. Yes. You don't have to be the, oh, can I dance for you? <laughs> hey, let's do a, let's do a TikTok. Come on. Watch me sing. <laughs> you know? Well, and I'll tell you the other problem too is, and I don't know that we'll ever get it regulated like we do in the with the airline pilots and truck drivers. But this concept that you can work these officers day after day after day after day, 12-hour shifts. You know, I don't know if you're aware, Chicago had three suicides the first two weeks of June. June. Or June. And the last one um, was a female, and her. we're honored to have her brother, Ryan, on our board of directors. But Patsy wow. worked 22 days straight, 12-hour shifts, not trying to make more money. All off days were canceled. Yep. He had recently, last time we talked to him, talked to someone up there, 41 days yeah. straight, 12-hour shifts. Can't do it. You can't do it and expect them not to have make mistakes like, let's go less lethal, but their muscle memory takes them to lethal. Mm -hmm. Or they're irritable. Or, you know, 
excessive <laughs> use of force. You know, yeah. you spit at me, I, you know, beat your head in the ground. You can't, you can't have it both ways. Yeah. And, and, and like I said, Susan, I love the job, but I'm gonna be the first one to tell you after 10, 12, 15 years, five days of the uniform without two days off. Mm -hmm. No, right. I was eat up with it at the beginning. Granted, I was different from everybody else. But what people have to understand, too, is, is that you've got to decompress. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You've got to sit there and have a method. You know, for me, detailing cars or cleaning cars or whatever, I enjoy doing that stuff. It allows me to look at my work. Policemen don't get to see their work. A carpenter comes in and goes, Susan, we did the crown molding for you. How do you like it? You're going, my God, Keith, you are the best carpenter there is. You've got something to look at. Yes. A policeman doesn't. That's right. If someone suddenly goes, well, what did you accomplish today? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I really don't know. And yet they've accomplished a lot, yeah. but they never. And they that's did. one of the things that we try to talk about in our training is they don't always Good. see the benefit right. of what they've done. But the reality You're is right. it's far reaching to many generations what you have done, what Tom has done, what Joel's father did, they just don't see it. And that's the hard part for them. They see the tragedy, the sadness, the things that we stand up and scream, you should have been able to prevent yeah. if you had I, been doing your job. Yeah, I had a, a young lady that came to the state police headquarters. I was captain. This was probably about 2018, I think it was. In the front reception area, you can't come in our building. And of course, it called me and said, there's a young lady here to meet you. And I went up there and I recognized her right off the bat. And I got her and her friends. It was an interdiction stop with a couple pounds of meth on the interstate and sent her to an Arkansas prison. Mm -hmm. And she came out and she told me, and I've still got the photographs from the bust where she's cuffed, her other girlfriends are cuffed and the guy's cuffed on the side of the road with all the drugs and stuff like that. It's as plain as day. And I think I arrested her in about like 20, 2007, 2008. She walked up and she said, Keith Aramia. And I said, that's me. And she gave me her name. And, she, and I said, she goes, you remember me? And I said, I do. And she told me that the guy had since been killed and the girl got out of prison and her life has gone to hell. And this girl is on my Facebook is one of my friends. And it meant the world to me. It really did that she came back and said, hey, look, I know you sent me to prison, but it was either that or I was on the road to hell. Sure. And I've had numerous deals like that. And I'm glad I have mm -hmm. because it's what it reinforces what I did. Mm -hmm. Sure. And like I said before, yes, I've made lots of mistakes. There have been people I've come down hard on before and people come back to me and said, man, I wish you wouldn't have sent him to prison. You know, if you'd have known his whole story, he was beat up as a kid and he was this, that, and the other. Yeah, I messed up. There's times where I, I've called the wrong play in the big football game when we're playing Alabama and we're going to win. <laughs> Dreaming again. Yeah, yeah, whatever. But, you know, it, policemen have got to have that. We're a different breed, yes. Susan. And I'm telling you, it, it's going to take many generations to, to outbreed that because you still got people whose dads were policemen who want to be policemen and they don't get to see the same things their dad got to do. That's right. And they're leaving the ranks. They're not staying more than 10 years. 
and then other people see them get burned out. And then those other young officers think things. And like I said before, and I hope I'm not right. I'm just afraid that you're going to see divorce rates even higher than we've had. And God knows, you know, I've been divorced one time. I know you've been divorced. And when you gave your class, I'll be the first one to tell you, Corey and I were not at a great place when I had my, when we went to your class. Mm-hmm. We needed your class. We'd been in a marriage counseling before. And we'd had a son who had a, a real rare blood disease, and it was tearing our family apart. Sure. It was. Sure. And um, there's that garbage can coming out. Yeah. And I'll just say that, you know, you told things about your husband and you said, yeah, he was DEA and he was always washing my car and he was always doing this and doing that. I'm going to tell you, it was like you had a goddamn satellite watching my family because I'm a car nut. I washed Corey's car all the time. There was times I didn't deal or address issues that I should have mm-hmm. and stuff. I was wrong. I was bad wrong. But it wasn't intentional. That was that's the whole point. No, you're too. right. It was. You have to have someone point out why that doesn't work, or you're right. the, what you're right. what and has to happen. Class, yeah. You know, when Corey and I went to that class and stuff, and I started going, "My gosh," you know, and I started realizing that when Corey would talk to me, I was that alpha male that if if a subordinate came to me at headquarters, Captain, we can't catch these bad guys. The cars won't run fast enough. I'll solve that problem. Yep. I'll either get a helicopter or I'll get some faster cars. I'll get something. But yep. women don't want that. They don't want you to solve that problem. Nope. They want you to hear them and realize there is a problem. Yeah, they don't want to. I'm a trooper. See my hat. They want I'm I'm Keith. I'm your husband. And there is a difference. That's right. You're right. And I was doing it wrong. I was doing it wrong. And again, because nobody was doing the training like we were doing and are still trying and, and we are You're still right. met with resistance, Keith. Mm-hmm. And I, I hope there's some supervisor, commander, leader, somebody out there listening that says, mm-hmm. okay, maybe there is a point to training and having spouses or significant others in there because well, there is. you there, have there to do it. Is. It's a lifestyle. Yeah. You can say it's it, not all day long. It is. And I'll say this, every good person that I've got who's made it up the ranks and has been successful, they've all got a great woman or a great man standing beside them. Yes. You can't do this job by yourself. <laughs> that's right. You can't. No way. Not, and, not and if you're going to have a family, especially. That's right. There's... But I'm a firm believer that, you know, without Corey and mm-hmm. I, I'm hell to live with. No lie, I bet. I don't have to live with you to know that. I will attest to that right off. (laughs) And and I understand that, you know, and there's times where I sit there and ask the man upstairs to change me. I really do because I know it. Hell, it's hell to be friends with you on Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) Probably why I only got a couple thousand, that's why. But I'll say this, and you know this is true, Susan. I'm, I'm a a hard shell to crack. Yes, you are. But I'll say this. If I know someone's got a problem or an issue, I don't care where they're at, especially when I'm retired. But even before that, I'd find you some help or find you somebody else or whatever, but I'll get you some help. Yes. Um, If it's not me immediately, I'll get you somebody else because I'm the guy that probably doesn't call a lot and probably doesn't visit a lot. But 
If you need somebody, man, call me. And I will tell you this, there's a guy on my Facebook, and I'm going to give you his name after we after we hang up. Okay. I made a traffic stop. I had a guy from Oklahoma that passed by me, and I drove an unmarked charger the last couple of years. He passed me, and I, you know, I'm the kind of guy <laughs> in Arkansas. Don't challenge hey, me. If the speed limit's 70, it's not 72, and it's not 76. <laughs> and he went by about 76. And I just kept on, I was almost home, and I was like, you know, dude, you just don't know us in Arkansas. So I pulled him off. That was an insult to Keith. <laughs> That's what it was. How he dare was him? Big, that was he contempt was a, to yeah, Keith. Yeah, he was a big guy. That's right. Contempt of trooper. <laughs> it's my way. <laughs> and not on my anyway, highway at the same time. <laughs> anyway, I walked up to him. And like you said, um, I get to talk to people, yeah. you know, especially as a captain. I had many a gangbangers or whatever when they'd start doing this stuff <laughs> to me. I'd look at them. I said, "Look, I'm too old. I don't yah yah. You know, you're gonna respect me, and I'm gonna respect you. I'm a mirror, but it's gonna go my way, or it's not gonna go your way." <laughs> and this guy started talking to me, and I could tell there was something on his mind. I really could. I could feel it, mm -hmm. and his body language was way off the charts on me, and I could see that this guy was ready to bounce on me. And I kept on saying something. And he finally goes, well, look, I'm a police officer. And I said, okay, where at? And he identified his agency and stuff. And I said, what's going on with you, man? And he said, I just got a lot going on like that. You know, and I said, okay, well, I need you to step out of the car. And he did. And even his body language then, he still, and I don't even know if they even teach this in the academy anymore because I don't see it on videotapes. But as soon as he got out of the car, he bladed me, which mm -hmm. means he stood his his right. non-gun way toward yep. me. Yep. Knowing that if I'm coming to attack him, yep. he can throw me or I can't push him off balance. And his gun side is away from me. Yep. I got him in the car and stuff like that. Being a policeman, I didn't pat him down and stuff. And I got him in the car and he pretty much broke down. Mm -hmm. And he had gone to the VA in Little Rock because he couldn't get any help or not good help at the VA mm -hmm. in Oklahoma. And he'd been involved in a shooting where he shot a kid. I, I don't recall the age, but I know the kid was under 19. Mm -hmm. And it killed the kid. And he was—he had a lot of stuff going on. Mm -hmm. yeah, and we sat on the side of the road for an hour talking. And I know, just as I've known my whole career, that when I got loads of dope, if it was two or 3,000 pounds of marijuana or 200 pounds of cocaine or five pounds of meth, it wasn't me getting that dope. It was the man upstairs that was using me and saying, that guy needs to be stopped. And Keith, I've given you all the things, the tools to stop him. Mm -hmm. He's speeding. Stop him. And I do. And then God gave me a nose to smell drugs or smell precursors or whatever it was. And God gave me the eyes to look at screws holding dashboards or holding carpets and stuff in and go, why are those all tooled out? Why would the carpet have to be taken in and out so many times unless there's a compartment underneath there and stuff? Sure. God gave me all those tools and God gave me the same tools that day with that guy. And we talk on Facebook all the time, especially at holidays. Nice. And he's doing great. He's married again and his life doing awesome. It really is. But I'm telling you, policemen are not being allowed to do this stuff anymore, sure, and it's gonna it's gonna crash. 
Well, you, and you just laid out exactly why under the shield is so important. And here, exactly, it doesn't. It, it isn't about mental illness. It isn't about having a license or a master's in counseling or a PhD in psychology. Oh. It's about being able to listen and hear and understand and not judge. That is what law enforcement needs. Not the license world, diagnosing, putting them in a box, sticking them in that DSM. Giving them medication. Giving them medication, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, making victims of them with labels. And that's that's not what it's about. Well, what we used to call the 70s, the rubber gun squad. Still call that. Still call that. Because if you if you went to see a site, you know, oh, oh my gosh, rubber gun. Still happens. Still happens. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. The. And again, it's not criticizing the license world. They have their requirements of what they have to report. Mm-hmm. And officers know that. And again, y'all are better psychologists than any PhDs I know because you're reading all that body language you were talking right. about. And it, it but there's there's that's not all that's needed. We've got to have something that's non-threatening so that we can remove that stigma, that they can reach out, which is why it's called coaching, stress coaching. Sure. And it sure. it's it's pretty simple, and it's stuff you guys, especially from your generation, Tom's, we're doing with people all the time. Mm-hmm. And now you've got to be allowed to do it on a professional level with peers, the same same jobs, same understanding, spouses, also of these specialized fields. Uh, you know, so you may have just talked you and Corey into having to come out and <laughs> become stress coaches with us. Cause again, it's something you can do. <clears throat> you can't do it on water skis. You could probably do it from your boat since that's where you spend the majority of your life. It's, you know, look at his Facebook. It's all pictures of him in shorts and you know, that kind of stuff. I think you're just trying to show off your body at your age, but whatever. Um, it, it's stuff you can do from anywhere and yeah. just kind of fine tunes it. Did you see where Texas had a ranger that committed suicide last week? I did not, but not okay. surprised. Border Patrol's losing them almost weekly. Yeah, they uh, they had a guy, I think he's 42. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I will say this. If I wanted to join the Arkansas State Police, Texas is where I would have gone. And they've got a, an awesome organization. One of the chiefs is a very good friend of mine. I'm, I'm blessed to say I, I have probably 40 or 50 friends that are in Texas DPS. Mm-hmm. And I reached out to one of them and asked them, did he commit suicide? And they said, yeah. And, you know, a Texas Ranger is what I call a goal-oriented person. He has gone through the ranks. He knows what he wanted to attain. He made it to that deal. And I don't know the story. I didn't ask the story. I'm just saying that there's got to be something somewhere where even him has to know that he can reach out to somebody else and say, you know, man, I'm struggling. I'm just not making it. No fears, with no fears. That's it. Because, you know, it's just like, and I don't know what it is about policemen, for the most part, when a policeman loses a dog, Mm -hmm. you can look on his Facebook, and man, that cop will tell you, boy, it took my heart apart. I'm struggling. (laughs) I'm having some problems here. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at any policeman that loses a dog on Facebook and he is going to put it out there and, sure. and not just for one day. Right. It's going to come back. And when it pops up a year later, he's going to say, you know, Smokey, you, you, you took a lot of my heart. In fact, someone made a comment yesterday and said, 
uh, boy, I'm still struggling with this one. Yeah. And I probably messaged him and said, you know what? It's the hardest thing you do. And I had a police officer about two months ago. We were at a barbecue thing, and I was working to keep my certification up at this police department. And he said, you know what? He said, I, I've got a lot of family members. I'd rather die than my dog. Uh-huh. I wish it had been my so-and-so, my cousin. Yeah. So-and-so. Absolutely. Hey, I'm I with get you. it. Uh, I'm with I you. I get it. Because a dog is unconditional love. Yes. Yeah. You can, Susan, you can lose everything you've got. Your house could blow up today. And you know, and I know that dog's going to love you. Absolutely. You come home from work and say, I lost under the shield. They found out I was embezzling money. <laughs> Okay. I found out I was embezzling money. Oh, my God. That dog's still going to love you. You know, it didn't matter if I was a captain of the state police. They don't care. Joe Crap the rag man that's homeless. Yeah. That dog's going to still love you. And most cops, when they lose a dog, I don't know what it is. They're going to sit there and and they're, they, they come to the water a periscope, and they tell everybody, yep. hey, man, I'm drowning. Yep, I'm having a hard time. Absolutely. And that's, you know, as we wrap this up here, too, that that's the, the message we're trying to get out around the country. They can call us 24-7. They don't have to give us a name. We don't even have their phone number, Keith, when they call and hit that extension one. So mm-hmm. all these people in Texas and stuff that you know, because those guys are hurting from that suicide. Mm-hmm. They're all second-guessing. There are also a lot of them are saying, there but for the grace of God go I, because all of them have had those thoughts, if they're honest about it. And that's the thing about us. We are not, we don't have information to even send police to check on them. You know, everybody's putting out this new number, the 980. Yeah, that one. Uh, People need to understand, it's a great concept. The police, I mean, the uh, National Suicide Hotlines, those people have information. They send police to do welfare checks. We do not. We don't have it. Hit extension one. We don't have your phone number. And we've got to get this word out to everybody. They will always get a stress coach. We're not just a referral service. Sure. We, they're going to talk to Tom, me, David Cohen in Alabama. They're going to talk to somebody. And uh, again, we uh, do everything to make sure that it remains anonymous because we understand it. We wouldn't be here 30 years later if we had ever breached confidentiality. <laughs> you know that. And uh, so, you know, we want to have you back again because there's, good gosh, we got 75 years plus of experience <laughs> right here. I can't believe he's still alive, but hopefully he'll be around a little longer and he can share more of his expertise and stuff with us you must be 110 keith i, I you, know, you look I, good for your age damn he looks good no wonder he's strutting well, around the lake with no shirt on and stuff <laughs> um, well, but, you're doing a great job susan well, and like you. i said it's an honor to be on it was a pleasure to meet tom and uh, i i love what you're doing and it's definitely needed if there is any chiefs or any commanders and stuff listening and stuff like that it works it's needed, and if they don't think that they need to invest in some, I would call it uh, reconstruction, crash reconstruction, <laughs> because their guys are going to crash. Yeah. I'm going to tell you. Yep. I hate to say it, but they are. And they can head it off if they'll let us get in the building. 
I and we can do so many at one time versus one-on-one. <laughs> that take, yeah. Look, I'm 63 years old. I ain't getting any younger people. Uh, we we got to we gotta make this stuff happen. And uh, again, I got good people coming up behind me and good stress coaches that I'm training all of them. And Keith, I really would love for you and Corey to consider being stress coaches with us. It's okay. a 40-hour certification out here. You know, for Keith, though, we'll do something special. We'll do his in August. <laughs> Heck no. <laughs> he doesn't get to come during the good time of year. We'll do it in August. <laughs> I don't leave the lake in August. Oh, well, that's true, too. <laughs> we'll do it on your lake if we ever get the address. Works for me. <laughs> but anyway, Tom, you want to talk about some of our other sponsors also? Yeah, so we again, we have our softball tournament coming up on January 7th here, police versus fire, so we'll see who comes out with the trophy on that game. I don't think there are any troopers in this thing, are there? No, we didn't have troopers Dang, the troopers this year. don't play softball. Yeah. <laughs> They're too busy chasing taillights. <laughs> hey, you know what the definition of a firefighter is, don't you? Uh-oh. It's someone that couldn't pass the police test. <laughs> Yeah, but maybe they can play softball. We'll find out. Well, we'll, well, we'll I'm sure they can. Yeah. Well, they got plenty of time to work out, That's so right. we're good, right? That's it. But we want to give a shout out to some of our uh, sponsors for this. Um, our silver sponsors, um, one which is really good, Skaggs Public Safety Uniforms and Equipment. Yeah, just um, down the road. Yeah, they're right, real close to us. Um, but they they have all anything you need for police uh, to do your job there for equipment wise. You can get through the Skaggs. Um, Quantum Helicopters, it's a flight school for being a helicopter pilot. Uh, one That's of our, what I should do. There you go. go I need see to be Neil. a helicopter pilot. <laughs> no, Susan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Joel, you be quiet. Turn that mic off. <laughs> um, then we also have uh, Arizona Bank and Trust, which was where my wife worked for many years, uh, actually when she was one of the gr original ground employees there. Nice. Um, and they are a great local community bank. Uh, it's nice when you walk in there, the people call you by name, they know you. Can you see my picture behind my head or the mic? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we see it showing off. <laughs> um, and then uh, the last two um, that I want to talk about is Property Rock Resources um, and Click Click Bang, a gun store locally here love that name click click bang that for a good, gun store but great song too <laughs> <laughs> but we want to thank all those sponsors for uh, generously their donations to support our charity and we'll be talking about them again on upcoming podcast yeah. as well and again keith we can't thank you enough wishing you and Corey and your son and his beautiful wife a very merry christmas and uh happy new year and we're going to get you back on here in the new year and like I said, we'll get you out okay. here uh, to, to do some stress coach certification stuff, although I don't know if I'll survive that. But it'll be fun <laughs> to try. I was lucky to make it through the class he, that he was in. Uh, but, Joel, good to see you back here and struggling through yeah. long work, nights. Work overnight. He's a little tired. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That, that might have to be something. <laughs> these, these kids. Yeah, Keith uh, Keith can talk to you about that off air. He's he's very familiar with the kind of stuff you're doing. <laughs> yeah, bless Joel's heart. <laughs> but as we wrap it up again for all of you listening, please, there's nothing we don't deal with here at Under the Shield. Spouses, uh, parents, whatever, give us a call. Our toll-free number is 855 889-2348. That's a 24-7 number. 
hit extension one, you will get one of our stress coaches. Uh, I think I'm extension two. Tom, uh, David is Cohen in Alabama is three. Tom is four. Uh, you may get our voicemails if you hit our specific extensions, but not on extension one. Uh, my cell number is 334-324-3570. And on our main line, if you uh, call in and you hit extension one, let it just stay on the line. It's going to roll to whoever the f next available yes, stress and, coach is. Yeah, don't expect somebody to answer necessarily in the first three or four rings because right. it could be rolling over to a stress coach. Because it'll ring one phone for three rings, the next phone for three, the next. So it, it may take a while. And if you hang up, we don't have your number. So. Exactly. Uh, but if you want to call me direct, you can reach me at 480-861-6574. You're living in those dark times, just reach out. Yeah. And these holidays, this is this is tough yeah. times normally, but especially with everything else that's going on. And again, we we promise you no one will know you have reached out to us. No notes, no records. We're not licensed as uh, mandated reporters, so there's no obligation on our end to report you to anybody. And when we don't have it, we couldn't do it if we wanted to. So reach out, families. We know it's hard for you to know where to reach that's safe, but reach out to us all so we can maybe help you move up the process to get your loved one to call one of us. Sometimes it just takes talking to us to understand that. Uh, again, thank you for all the sacrifices that all of our first responders make, and especially the families. They make the greatest sacrifices during holiday times, birthdays, everything. Uh, we get it. I was there for 20 plus years. And uh, so reach out to us, but take care, stay safe. God bless you. God bless your families in this great nation that we live in. Keith, again, thank you for your time. And uh, honored so to call much. you a friend most of the time, not always, <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> but stay safe out there. Reach out to us if we can help you, and we'll see you next week.